he will reign forever. What a great way to start the year. He's going to reign forever. Well, the holidays are over. And hopefully you have learned that it's time to put aside the revelry and the indulging, all the peanut butter fudge and cheesecake stored away till next year or however you deal with it at your home. We've got a couple candy canes left, I think. But Rachel's trying to figure out how we're to get everything put away. She's talking to Alexa. Alexa, take down the decorations. It's not working. So like so many of you, we are busy at the church household cleaning out to make room for all kinds of new things. It's been this constant straightening up and uh, putting away, and it never seems to end. It continues to look in disarray. That's just what happens, right? And so we're trying to store away all the Christmas decorations, get ready for the new year. Uh, We pulled out the calendars for the year, trying to compare those to make sure we're all on the same page. And then we've logged on to look at the checking account and what do we need to pay off and how do we cut back and how do we save And then we're starting to set the alarm clocks now. So we've entered the new year. We have entered into that regular, ordinary, mundane grind of life. 2020. Welcome to it. You know, most people really don't love ordinary, mundane grind. We prefer spectacular. We prefer glamorous or eventful. We want important and fun. We want Christmas and New Year's big and beautiful. But of course, most of life is much more ordinary, mundane, and grind of life than Christmas or New Year's. In fact, I would say many, if not most, of the important things we do are the ordinary, mundane, grind of life tasks. So as we enter into 2020, I thought it would be important for us to get our feet on the ground with a refresher and on what the basic Christian life is all about. Now, we do a really good job, job at complicating things. We can complicate anything, and that includes the Word of God. But Jesus simplified it for us by telling us what the Christian life should be about. He said it's the greatest command, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And then he gave us a new command. You are to love one another just as I have loved you. So if you want to assess how you're doing at this Christian life that you're striving to live out, then I would say ask yourself, how am I doing with regards to loving God with the devotion he requires and loving others to the degree that he demands? Now it might be easy to say, okay, if that's it, I'm doing fine. I'm loving God and I'm loving others. But I think that if we put ourselves under the magnifying glass, then it'd be real easy to find the gaps of where we're not living up to those commands when it comes to loving God and loving others. So how do we do it? How do we grow in our love for God and in our love for others? Well, over the years, wise men and women who've studied the scriptures have told us that there are certain disciplines, certain practices we can put into our life that will help us to grow in faith and to grow in love. In other words, there's help for people like you and me. Who say, I'm standing here, I want to get there, I want to grow, I want to get better. How do I do it? So for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the basics and preparation for spiritual maturity by reading through the book of Hebrews, or just actually we're going to look at about four different passages. We're calling the series On Your Mark, and it has nothing to do with the Gospel of Mark. I know I've confused you there, I'm sorry. 
But on your mark, more meaning in reference to a race that the book of Hebrews describes that's laid out right in front of us. And so in chapter 12, which is where we're going to be this morning, the writer of Hebrews ushers us into a stadium where it appears people are filling up the grandstands and there's this cheering and this shouting and these athletes start pouring into the stadium, running around the track towards the finish line. And this race we're observing in Hebrews 12 is your race. So look with me this morning in Hebrews 12, and I'm going to read to you the first three verses. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This passage of Scripture encourages Christians to run with perseverance, laying aside the impediments to endurance, and keeping focus on Jesus as the pace setter for the race. And so the message for you and me this morning as we kick off a brand new year is to run the race with endurance. Now the Bible uses a lot of athletic uh, analogies or metaphors, and right here he chooses a race. And so I... Like you, I'm thinking, well, what is the race? I think I can assume what it is, but what is the race? Well, first of all, you should not assume that the race is a competition. This is the race of your life, the Christian life. It's a race where the course has been set before you by God, and he does this for every person. That means everyone has to run the race. That's what's implied here. Everyone's expected to run. Truly, there's no spectators. Everybody is a participant. We're all runners. Secondly, the race is not some field day sprint. The writer is referencing a race that amounts to a long distance that requires great endurance. Now, I was tempted to say what many of you are used to hearing is that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a, y'all can finish it for me. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? But I didn't say that because that's not biblical. That's not an understanding of this Bible. Y'all got it wrong. Now, some of you are here today, and I I know you are marathon runners or half marathon runners, and we're going to do our best not to look down on you for all the energy you exert doing that. I'm a 5K runner. I've accidentally run a couple 10Ks. But as I studied this passage, I was amazed to discover one of the most affirming things about foot races in biblical times. In the first century, scholars tell us races were not these marathons or half marathons that cities host today. Most of the foot races that we speak of in the first century amounted to about three miles. It turns out I'm more biblical than the rest of you marathon runners. And I have made a resolution to remain biblical in 2020, and you can continue to sin. But no matter what, the writer's point is that this is a race that requires endurance, which does not mean passive patience. That's not what he's talking about here. This is a race that requires effort. It requires a struggle. 
And the thing about this race is we don't precisely know where the finish line is. We could meet the finish line in the next coming weeks, or it could be years down the road. Because this race is the race of your life until you take your last breath. Now, I think in our mind's eye, it might be good to imagine that moment in history described in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. When the trumpet sound of the Lord will blast and Jesus himself will descend. That may be the finish line. And could it be that that happens in 2020? Or I also like to imagine that moment described in Revelation 19. The marriage feast of the Lamb. Where the saints are gathered around God's banqueting table. And I imagine there's this reminiscing over how we all got over So the race we're running is the race of life, which is a reminder that all of our lives have purpose. So how are we to run the race? The text offers three clauses that explain how we're to run the race with endurance. We run because of the witnesses, by throwing off every encumbrance, and through fixed eyes on Jesus. So let's look first in uh, running in light of the great cloud of witnesses. When you're studying the Bible and you come to a passage of Scripture that opens like Hebrews 12.1 with this word, therefore, there's a good question to ask that you've heard before. What's the therefore, therefore? And so that's what you ask here. And this particular word translated as therefore in the Scriptures uh, comes from a Greek word that's only found twice in the New Testament. And it essentially means for this very reason. And the context that the writer is speaking of is what he's penned in Hebrews 11. Now don't tune me out. I'm sure you might want to peruse over to Hebrews 11. But I'll remind you, this is that chapter we remember as the hall of faith. The writer of Hebrews in in chapter 11 reminds us of men and women who uh, had faith to accomplish great feats and finish the race. Men and women like uh, Noah, who believed God would send a flood before he had ever even seen a raindrop. Like Abraham, who went in looking for a country he'd never been to where God had laid the foundations. Men and women like Sarah, who believed that in her old age, God would give her a child. The great triumphs of faith by the patriarchs like Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Uh, Men like Moses, who believed that God would use him to overcome the greatest power on earth. Or like Rahab, who trusted that the spies would show her kindness. So the writer says, because of these witnesses, and he labels them as a cloud of witnesses. And the imagery is this massive host of witnesses. A stadium packed full. And he writes, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. So he describes them or characterizes the cloud of witnesses as great, which recalls to mind that they are great because of their faith. And he says they are surrounding us. There's a worship song on the radio that says, um, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Speaking of the Lord. Well, I think the writer of Hebrews would agree, but he would also say that there's this cloud of witnesses surrounding us as we run the race in front of. What I generally think of when I read this verse or when I hear it taught, are of those who've gone before me into heaven, who are part of the grandstands bearing witness to my spiritual race and cheering me on. And it's such an encouraging metaphor. Everybody wants to know that somebody is there cheering them on, urging them forward. 
But I don't think that's all that's meant by this verse in Hebrews. In fact, I think it falls short of the writer's original intent. Rather than witnesses to our races, rather than bearing witness to our race, those who have packed heaven's grandstands is this great cloud of men and women bearing witness to their own faith in God. They're not spectators. They are champions who have finished their own race. They're not sitting in the stands picking out a horse and cheering it on. They're bearing witness to the fact that it can be done. Even in the face of great adversity, you can finish the race. We did too, is what they're saying. So the writer's main point is what we see in them and in their journey rather than what they see in us. So by looking at this cloud of witnesses, we see that the Christian life is difficult and it requires sustained effort. See, the men and women described in Hebrews 11 did not experience easy, no setback, downhill races for the Lord. These are men and women who went through fire, who went up mountains, who crossed great expanses, who endured great adversity, persecution, some the threat of death. The end of the chapter, he describes those who were killed for their faith. So they were threatened, but they kept pressing on. The race we have before us as believers in Jesus Christ requires sustained effort. Well, in reflecting on this verse, the Lord brought to mind so many faces and names of people who've gone before me. Uh, my grandmother church was a woman of great faith. Uh, she lived in poverty most of her life, but she loved Jesus. And she persevered to the end. And I know she's sitting in heaven's grandstands bearing witness to the fact that she loved the Lord in spite of the great struggle she went through. I thought of people like Rick Milne. Rick Milne who expressed big, bold faith by having open hands before the Lord. Who faced death with a smile, bearing witness to so many of you that to live is Christ, to die is gain. Death gets no victory is what he taught us. I think of great men and women who answered God's call to carry the gospel to dark places. You ever heard of Adoniram Judson? He traveled to Burma in 1813 when there were zero Protestant Christians in the country. When he died, there were 7,000. Today, there are more than 3 million, and some of these Burmese Christians call our church home today. Judson endured so much more than we could ever even imagine for the sake of the gospel being brought to the Burmese people. In fact, he said, I will not leave Burma until the cross is planted here forever. He is a part of the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us today to say, run with endurance, it's worth it. So because of those witnesses, we can run our race. But don't just listen for the cheers coming for heaven, from heaven's grandstands. That's not what this is about. Not just those urging you forward. You look to them as heroes who have already run, who have endured great affliction for the sake of passing the baton of the gospel to you. That's what they've done. So they serve as examples as to what it takes to finish the race. And the critical factor to winning their race was not their skill, it was not in their grit, it was in their faith. That's what we're reminded. So the writer of Hebrews says, having a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run with endurance the race set before us. He doesn't stop there. After looking at the heroes, he says, now look at yourself. So there in the middle of verse 1, he says, uh, you're to look at yourself and then to lay aside. 
The writer of Hebrews says, by means of having thrown off, now let us run. So what does he ask us to lay aside? Of course, the verse says here, uh, to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So the idea here in this passage is to be successful at running a race, make sure you don't get tripped up by anything. You know, how many times do parents tell their kids, tie your shoelaces so you don't trip? Well, that's the idea here. Make sure the shoelaces are tied tight. If you're going to be successful at running the race, take a look at yourself. Is anything going to prevent you from running with excellence? I imagine that the first century athletes would train their bodies so that excess body fat would not get in their way so that they could be successful. They also would make sure they didn't wear the wrong clothing that might trip them up, that might hinder them from succeeding. I'm sure many of you know that Many first century athletes, um, most of them, would run races with very little clothing on, some with none at all. But the reason they did that is there was no under armor or spandex. So that's why they didn't do that. Their long flowing robes would trip them up. So I can't run in that. Well, it's the same thing in a spiritual race. There are relationships, habits, possessions. There are attitudes that encumber your ability to run hard. So the writer says, lay it aside. He also says, lay aside the entangling sin. Now, this could be in reference to sin in general. Uh, you know, because if you're running the race of the Christian life, uh, any sinful thought or sinful word or sinful deed has the potential to trip you up. But I think in light of the things we discover in Hebrews, particularly as you look at chapter 11, the sin that the writer is speaking of here is persistent unbelief, lack of faith. You cannot run the race in front of you without faith. So lay aside the lack of faith. Trust in God. In November, I ran the Run Hard 5K at Harbison with my two younger boys. And the challenge this year was when we arrived at the race, it was 35 degrees. And so uh, we were layered them up with leggings and gloves with hot hands. And they even wore full masks. And uh, they had on hoodies, everything so they could run because you're there like an hour early. And then by the time you start the race, you're still cold. So they took off running in all of that gear. And uh, I ran with Andrew. So two miles into this three-mile race, all of a sudden he realized, I got a race to run. And he starts laying aside. He's pulling off the mask and the gloves and the hot hands. And he's, to lay aside means hand them to dad. And so the last mile for me was myself, my gear, and his gear. And so (laughs) I finished, and that was the goal, although it was a slow time. The point is this. Some things in life must be rejected if we're to run our race effectively. So as we start 2020, you have a blank slate in front of you. I hope that feels good to you. And God is calling you to run the race with endurance. You don't know what sort of adversity you're going to face. You're going to meet challenges. And so the point is you begin now with the end in mind that I'm going to face those with faith. And to be faithful as his dearly loved child, to carry the baton of the gospel in your own generation, to mature as his disciple. So to do that, you're going to have to take a look at yourself and start laying aside all of those encumbrances and all of those entangling sins. Let me point out this. All encumbrances are not bad or sinful things. Sometimes they're fine things. But when you evaluate them in light of the race that God has set up before you, then all of a sudden certain possessions, 
certain habits or hobbies, certain patterns of life, certain people will cool your heart for the Lord. So really it takes wisdom to look at your life and start figuring out what to lay aside. You know, I would even think very often we're having to choose between certain things that are good and other things that are better or best. But you have to ask yourself, what's most important in my life? What am I living for? What matters most? What finish line am I running towards? What's, is Jesus most important to me or these things or this stuff or this person? What do you want to be said about you when you arrive at the wedding feast of the Lamb and the glasses go up to toast? Here's to Wes. What am I running for? The other thing is that some things could be right for others but wrong for you. One of the encumbrances that Moses faced was this royal upbringing. In order to run the race in front of him, he had to set that aside so he could be faithful to God. But before him, we had Joseph, who took up royal responsibilities so that he could do the same thing, live with faith for God. So right for others may be wrong for you. Well, those are encumbrances, but when it comes to entangling sin, that's always wrong for you. Greed Lust, hatred, racism, bigotry, pride, all of those things will hamstring you in the race of life. And so I would say to you in 2020, do not take God's word lightly. Do not excuse yourself as if certain sins are okay for you. Do not think that you will evade God's discipline. So on the first week of the year, I would challenge you to take a good look at yourself. What's slowing you down in the race of the Christian life? What's keeping you from maturing as a child of God who's growing to love God more deeply and love people more devotedly? Lay those things aside. So we run the race by first looking at the heroes who serve as examples. Then we run the race by looking at ourselves and what might hinder us from running faithfully. Next, we're told to run by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in order to fix your eyes on Jesus, what do you have to do? Take your eyes off of other things. Where you look is really important when you are running a race. You can't be successful in running while looking behind you. You can't be successful while looking beside you. In fact, it really messes up your posture if you look at your feet. And so the truth is when you're running, you have to look in front of you. And for the believer, that means setting your eyes on Jesus. Because he's your goal. Not only that, the scripture says he's the author and perfecter of the faith. So that means he's the source in the beginning as well as the completion. In his death and resurrection, faith is born. And in his perfect example, we have this completed race. What this reminds us is that this cloud of witnesses is not a perfect model for us. They encourage us, but Jesus is the true and better model. He's the one to emulate. Not only that, he's also the one who empowers us to express the faith so we might grow in our relationship with the Lord. The writer of Hebrews reminds us That we consider what Jesus endured so that when we feel like shrinking back, throwing the towel in, giving up, he says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Because we see Jesus as our example, 
We trust him to enable us to run the race. So a healthy view of Jesus and a relationship with him is the most important factor when it comes to maturing in the faith and running the race with endurance. When I was growing up, most of the people in my neighborhood wanted to be like Mike, Michael Jordan, and uh, they all tried to emulate him and every single one of them failed. No one succeeded at it. Well, I'm sure that you could recall people that you might want to emulate, people you might want to be like. So what if an athlete that you wanted to be like didn't just serve as an example, but came into your life and shared with you what they knew and then even gave you his ability so that you might be able to succeed? Well, then you could be like Mike, right? Jesus came as the example. He also came as the enabler. I can think of no better New Year's resolution for you in your spiritual journey this year than to put your eyes on Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off the people around you. Don't be distracted by the glitz and the glam. Look to Jesus. Now I know you're here and you're tuned in because you want to focus on Jesus. But I would ask you to really search yourself this morning. Have you merely just gazed at the Lord Or have you entered into a relationship with him? The gospel is that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, endured the shame of a criminal's death by dying on the cross. But then he shamed the shame of that death by being resurrected. And now he's been exalted and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he did all this for his own glory. But in the process, you also have the invitation to be able to receive forgiveness and enter into eternal life with him. Today, Jesus offers you that, all by simply receiving him and believing him. That's the first step to running the race. Running the race that God has set before you really begins and ends with your eyes on Jesus. God has placed you here with a purpose. That's what this race set before you reminds you. God set up the race for you, a race marked out for you. And the message from God's word on this first week of the year, is to run the race with endurance by looking at those who have gone before you, by looking at yourself and determining what is uh, an impediment to running this race and setting it aside, and then by setting your eyes on Jesus, who's the ultimate goal of the race of the Christian life. Let me offer some application to wrap this sermon up. Many of you are starting with resolutions or goals this year, and um, I think that's an important thing to do. It really helps you to grow in all different kinds of areas of life. And one common goal that people take on at the beginning of year uh, is uh, to get in shape or to lose weight. Well, if that's a goal that you've set, the first step is to get on the scales so that you know where you're starting from, right? Nobody likes to do it. It might be painful, but you step on the scales because that really helps you set a reasonable goal. So at the start of 2020, I want to ask you, those who are joining us by television or online, or ask First Baptist Church, let's step on the scales this morning. Let's be honest with ourselves about where we are when it comes to spiritual things. Some of you are ready to run the marathon. Others just need to get up off the couch. So no matter what shape you're in, in other words, don't compare yourself to the people around you. Because God has a race in front of you. Just be honest with yourself about where you are. And then do this. Commit to take just the next step in this race of the Christian life. So the application is this. What's the next step for you? Perhaps it's dusting off your Bible. 
Maybe it's um, uh, coming clean before the Lord, being honest with Him about where you've been and what's going on in your heart. Perhaps you need to renew a vow to God or maybe commit to God for the first time. Perhaps you need to renew a commitment to the church. Maybe you need to commit to the church by joining and saying, I'm here. You need to step into a Bible study, a small group, a Sunday school class and say, I'm going to get in. I want to invest and I want people to invest in me. Maybe this year you need to commit to share your faith. You've said you're going to do it and you hadn't done it. Well, maybe this week, this is the week. Maybe it's to go on a mission trip or perhaps it's to start giving faithfully from what God has given you through tithes and offerings. Could it be that there is some encumbrance or some entangling sin that today, once and for all, you need to set aside? Maybe your eyes are on the wrong thing this morning and you need to get your eyes on Jesus. Whatever is the next step for you, would you do it? Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking over four basic practices That will help propel you forward in spiritual maturity. Running the race with endurance that's set in front of you. And I want to encourage you to be here for that. And the the idea is that we might seriously consider how we can finish 2020 by saying we have advanced in the race that God has put before us. Now we have a little bit of help for you. We have these journals that are available for you. And they essentially are books with blank pages. There's no rules to them. And The idea is this. I'm not the best at journaling. But when I do journal, what I realize is it helps me to remember and it helps me to focus. And I know it might could do the same thing for you. There's no rules for it. But I might give you a few tips of what you might do. Perhaps you might start by just jotting down today what you learned from Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It could be notes. It could be a prayer. Perhaps the Lord has prompted you with some thoughts about what next step might look like for you. Put them down. That way you can look back and say, that's where I was and now this is where I am. Secondly, it helps you focus. It would be awful to end up at December 31st, 2020, having not even taken a step forward in the race of faith. And so if you can journal, perhaps you might organize your thoughts. Maybe you might be able to focus your steps as you move forward. And so I would encourage you to keep it this year so that you might advance in godly living. So we're coming to an invitation, and I would just say to you, perhaps right now you just need to commit to the Lord, I want to live for you this year. Some of you, you may want to respond to the gospel or join the church or make some other decision. I want to encourage you in this moment, you say yes to Jesus by putting your eyes on him and running the race he's put before you. Our Father and God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's worth building our lives on. And Father, we thank you that you have not just called us to run a race, you've also enabled us to be able to do it. Father, as we respond to your word now, we pray that you'd have your way. Jesus Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our decisions and our attitudes and actions in this moment. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If God's speaking to your heart, I invite you to respond. I'll be down front with some staff members. Perhaps you just need a space here at the altar. Just to say, today I want to recommit. Today I want to take a new step. The altar's open for that. As God speaks, you respond. I invite you to stand. Our choir will sing. As God moves, you respond.
just a couple things I want to share with you. First of all, you know we always uh, head towards December uh, with a goal in mind financially so that we end up where we need to be. We set a goal of 750000 in December, and I'm so happy to report as of Friday we have $830,000 on hand in giving towards the general budget in December. And that is just a huge praise and so thankful to the Lord and thankful to you for your faithfulness. Uh, we also have a goal of 60000 to go towards Lottie Moon, and we exceeded that. by over. We have over 90000 given towards the Lottie Moon International Mission. So praise the Lord for that. Well, it is good to be in a new year. I'm not sure this is what I expected 2020 to look like when I was a kid. But um, as we start the new year, we have all kinds of things you've already been told about of how to kick off the year. And they have a vision day for our parents of students and uh, uh, students and children back in Ellis Hall. You can look into that and events that are coming up. But what I want us to do is as we begin this new year, I want you just to commit to really seek yourself and really and say, God, I want to live for you. And as we study over the next few weeks of these basic principles for following the Lord, you, you can pick yourself up one of these journals. They'll be back at the connection desk. They'll be over here in the alcove at the choir room, children's center. And uh, you can pick those up. Um, but just use that as you are intentional about seeking the Lord. And what I want us to do is I, I want to invite you to stand. And I'm just going to pray a prayer of praise. And then let's just open this year with a time of praise to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are good and that you are great. God, and you've called us to follow you. Lord, help us to be faithful in seeking you this year. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.